I'm Maike, psychologist and synesthesia artist. I have many types of synesthesia and this is me documenting my journey of learning more about it. So I'm meeting synesthesia scientists, book authors, musicians and people on the autistic spectrum to just have a chat about what synesthesia is and what it's like to have synesthesia. So come along and let's meet today's guest. Okay, welcome back to today's episode. We're talking to Brady and Sage, two synesthesia artists from the United States, and they just published a book called Feeling Different, Understanding Synesthesia Through Art. And I'm so happy we get to speak today. Hi, guys. Hello there. Hey. Where are you guys based? Sage, where are you? Um, I'm based in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, um, which is pretty much right in the middle of the United States. Cool. Um, and Brady, where are you? Um, I'm pretty darn close. I'm in a smaller town just off of Lincoln. Cool. Okay. I know nothing about Nebraska, but maybe you can tell us a bit about it. The wintertime, it's usually a lot more snowy, um, but it's just mostly just like sort of cold. It's not that bad, <laughs> but sometimes around this year, it's just like super, it's like, winter storms and whatnot. I know some parts of Nebraska are like just got piled with snow the past few days, but in where I'm at, there's literally no snow on the ground whatsoever. Nope. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny though, because we're so lo- landlocked. The morning can be a much different temperature than the evening, especially in the spring and fall. So we can have some pretty big changes there. Yeah. The temperature <laughs> just like, it, it'll literally change in like a difference of uh like 30 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, it's like a massive difference uh, on in the day. Like in the day, in the morning, it'll be like, it's like you're in a whole different region. Wow, yeah. I think that's what people would say about Scottish weather as well. Um, Brady, maybe you want to start and tell us what forms of synesthesia you have. Yeah, so um, I have lexical gustatory synesthesia. Um, in my instance, um, I'll taste books and movies. This was a lot stronger when I'm younger, but it's still kind of there. Um, and then I also have kind of an emotion to form synesthesia. I haven't found like an official name for it. Um, but basically I feel emotions, um, like when I feel happy, sad, whatever. I feel a form that consistently um, accompanies it um, in my body somewhere. So um, a certain emotion might make me feel kind of this shape moving in my chest. Um, it's a little odd, um, but for me, it's very natural to the point I um, don't even think twice about it. Wow, that's, I, I've never heard of that. That's really interesting. Thank and also you. the first one is a very rare type, isn't it? Um, I suppose so, yeah. it's. I don't know if mine fits kind of the typical definition, because most of the time when you hear lexical gustatory, you're thinking words directly to tastes, um, whereas mine is more of kind of a developed thing kind of themes of the book themes of the movie um that sort of thing so is it um, books from the past books of your childhood have a taste and you still get the taste sensation today even if you like just thinking about a book you read um when you were a kid gives you the sensation not quite so I actually have to be reading the book to get it and these days it's not nearly as strong as it used to be but I can still remember the taste very vividly to the point where I may forget about a lot of the events of the book or anything especially if it's a book from my childhood 
but just based on the taste, I can kind of remember vaguely what it's about, what the themes were in the book. Wow, that's completely new to me. And does that make you want to read more or less? I assume it really um, shapes your book and movie preferences. Um, it kind of does. It kind of turns me off for gory stuff that tends to have a poor taste. Um, but then sometimes I just tough it out if I like the book. Like when I was younger, um, like middle school age, I read a lot of Catherine Lasky's um, Owls of the Cahool and her Wolf of Beyond series. And that had a really good taste. And so it kind of just encouraged me to like read the books even more. But then I also read Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief. And that was so horrible tasting. Like it was a really good book. I loved it, but it tasted so bad and the taste would linger like a bad taste in your mouth after I would read it um, <laughs> that sometimes I'd just be like, I can't do it today. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Sage, what about you? What what types do you have? Um, I only have one type. Um, it's a sound to color synesthesia. It's been nicknamed chromasthesia um, a fair bit. Basically, when I listen, when I hear sounds or especially when I'm listening to music, I kind of see uh, color through my mind's eye and it's a very consistent um, depending on the the music instrument and f like for example like a saxophone will probably it is more of a is more of a orange color especially for ex like an alto saxophone or tenor saxophone is going to be orange um, for me, it's not necessarily about note or key changes. It's more of the the musical instrument or the like specific kind of sound. Oh, yeah, I, I interviewed a couple people who have chromesthesia and Corinne, um, another guest on the podcast, explained to me that chromesthesia, as you said, they nicknamed it chromesthesia, is not the best name to describe it because chrome is just like, color isn't it yeah it's it's it doesn't really explain it when you talk about chromesthesia it's more a little bit more of a broad nickname because people can see color through a variety of different things that isn't just sound they can see you know they look at a letter or they look at a number and they see that a color corresponds with that specific letter or number or word so saying chromesthesia doesn't necessarily explain the auditory part so when you exactly. say, when you say it's chromesthesia it's you know you're just talking more it's just like a color variant of synesthesia yeah exactly yeah i'm i think sound to color synesthesia is a good name i also use auditory visual synesthesia for yeah but i think chromesthesia is a funny one because it doesn't really it doesn't yeah like you said it doesn't really imply the, the music aspect yeah i mean it sounds cool it's not a very specific term for a specific very specific type of synesthesia it's more like a and we will talk about your unique experience of sound color synesthesia when we talk about the book but my next question would be when you guys realized that you had synesthesia and that could either be the time or the moment you realized oh I perceive the world in a certain way or the moment someone um, confronted you with the term synesthesia and you realized you had it or maybe it was the same moment. Um, so I found out my first type of synesthesia when I was 14 or about that age. I was reading a book um, while my mom and sister were in the room and something I would do 
to taste the book even more would be to hold my breath because then I wasn't smelling anything else except for the book because um, it's kind of a smell taste sort of thing. And my mom was kind of like, are you okay? What are you doing? Because, you know, just a kid that's holding their breath for long periods of time and then <laughs> breathing in and out. Um, <laughs> I confuse somebody a little bit and I go, oh, you know how when you can like, if you like hold your breath or if you really pay attention, you can taste books. And she, of course, was like, no. <laughs> Um, no. And so I started Googling and I came across the term synesthesia and I figured out that's what I had. It was just weird because there wasn't a lot of synesthetes that had a similar experience to me, but I kind of concluded it was nothing else. Uh, it couldn't be anything else other than synesthesia. And I was finally, I wasn't really sure about it until I have another, okay, so I have another condition called visual snow, which just causes me to basically see static in my visual field. It's not a hallucination. It's just kind of like eyeball malfunctioning. <laughs> so I had to go to an opto-neurologist and that same neurologist kind of helped me confirm that it was lexical gustatory synesthesia. Years after that, when I was 19, I was in college for the first time. I began to question if the kind of movement I felt um, inside my body was normal. I began to kind of pin down that there were specific shapes. I mean, when I was younger, younger, like a little kid, I would, I kind of thought it was, this is so cheesy, but I thought that it was my soul moving inside of me because people always like, oh, you have a soul. And I was like, oh, well, that's what it is. It's just moving around. Oh my God, <laughs> that's so sweet. <laughs> but, and then as I grew a little bit older, I just kind of ignored it. But then emotion, you know, when you go to college, you're away from home the first time, emotions are bigger. So I kind of figured that out and I began making art about it. And the rest is kind of history. I just made more and more art until I got to my thesis and it was completely based around my art. Would one emotion always stick to the same body part? Um, yeah, so basically. So most of, 90% of them, if not more, are felt kind of from like my stomach out my mouth, sometimes on like the tip of my tongue. And they almost always kind of correlate to the exact same place just like they crawl out have the exact same form now they vary in size based on the depth of the emotion but each are going to have kind of a specific movement a specific place sort of like a fountain or moving water it always flows in the same way um, it's just kind of intensity that changes and sometimes they'll combine can you explain the movement a bit um, so it's kind of hard to explain but the best way I came up with it is to just kind of imagine that the inside of your body um, has a fountain in it. Um, it's running water. It's like a stream. And when there's no emotion there, which is never the case, but if you just imagine there's no emotion, it's like a still pond. But then once there's emotion, there's this force that is moving that water into different forms, into different shapes, flowing in different ways. Um, so it might flow up my stomach and out my mouth in different shapes. Um, so one might be really spiky, one might be smooth, um, one kind of shoots out um, and in a surprising way. Um, one's like a prick on the tongue, but they all kind of have this movement to them. So a lot of my drawings, I do have some animations, but a lot of my drawings kind of capture what I think is the whole of the movement with greatest peak, what encapsulates it the best. Wow, I'm so intrigued. And have you ever met someone who experiences the same? No, I, um, I've had a couple of 
short conversations with the comments on Instagram of people that think they might have something similar, um, but never quite the same. And for a little bit, I was kind of embarrassed to talk about it just because there, I haven't found another synesthete that has the same thing, although I, it, it's synesthesia. So no, not really. Um, <laughs> maybe someday, maybe this podcast, somebody would be like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. And then I'll, I'll find the other person. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Please reach out. It's super interesting. And I think it's very, very rare and, and special and unique. And wow. Sage, what about you? When did you find out about synesthesia? So when I was very young, pretty much around, I'd say elementary school, was when I, when I at least noticed or like my earliest memories of me having chromesthesia um, you know, remember listening to uh, a lot of the songs that my mom would play on the radio a lot. And I just remember, you know, I remember the colors that were invoked um, by those songs um, very vividly because I heard them so much because my mom liked to play a lot of the a lot of the similar songs very often. She had like she had like a few CDs that she would have in the car and um, she would play them. And, you know, throughout my adolescence, you know, I just assumed that was just something that that everyone experienced with music. And so I didn't really bat an eye on it for the longest time until until I discussed it, or at least Brady mentioned it a few years ago while we were in college together. I we were just like chatting and stuff. Uh, we have a lot of commonality together in college where we both are digital design artists we both were in cross country and track so we you know eventually became friends and I had learned about her thesis project where um, she was going to do it her thesis project about synesthesia and she told me what it was and just talked about it uh, that was kind of an eye-opening moment because I looked it up and researched it even more and I found found the sound to color synesthesia type discussed a lot online, and that's kind of when I had that I had that aha moment of you know realization that that's that I may in fact have that type of synesthesia, and so I you know researched it as much as I could, you know made sure that it is what I experienced by listening to a ton of music, you know the the night that I had learned about it, I pretty much was just like, you know, going through a whole array of different genres and stuff and like pinpointing, you know, the various, what kind of sound to color synesthesia it was. And sure enough, it was, you know, of course, it was musical instruments that were really kind of the, the, the catalyst in the colors that I experienced. Your conversation, the conversation between the two of you in college was like the birth moment of your now published book yeah and i mean i mean brady was probably like talking about it and was it, it, it's funny when you look back at it she was just like oh yeah you know i have this you know neural this like condition and stuff like that you know and i'm doing a thesis about it it was like you know when i was talking with her i was just at first i was like oh uh, very 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 cool and but in the back of my head it was like oh my lord do i do I also have this too? <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's funny how like you, you think back on it and 
you don't assume anything about it, but you know, that, that moment of just like talking with each other casually just led to, you know, this, the snowball effect, which led us to, to writing and publishing a book. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, something so beautiful can be born from, yeah, from a conversation like that. It's so cool. So do you think it runs in your family, Sage? My, I've, I've kind of theorized that it was on my uh, biological father's side that may in fact have had it. I've, I have gotten a lot of my kind of neurodivergency from my father's side. I haven't really uh, spoken with that side of the family for quite a, a while, but that's what I theorize as a lot of, a lot of people, um, the people on my mom's side don't really experience it or didn't know much about it either. So it was, it's something that I'm particularly not sure about and haven't confirmed, but I think it's from my father's side. Yeah, interesting. And what's the other neurodiversity you identify with? When I was uh, when I was around, uh, you know, three years old and uh, six years old, I was um, I was diagnosed with uh, uh, being on the um, autistic spectrum. Um, I was considered to be kind of a what the what the doctors considered a prime example of someone with um, Asperger's. And for me, pers- my parents knew about it for, you know, the longest time. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't really think much of it. I didn't think much about that. And, you know, I didn't really realize that I had it or, you know, someone didn't bluntly say that I had it until, you know, I had just uh, moved into college. and. Yeah, so I'm also what people have kind of nicknamed an Aspie. Yeah, I've heard that nickname before. <laughs> okay, cool. So, I mean, Asperger's and synesthesia is a very common overlap, isn't it? It's um, synesthesia is a lot more common in uh, autistic people. Yeah, there have been some there have been some studies done where there is sort there is sort of a connection um, between someone being in the autistic spectrum. And those um, having synesthesia, you know, because it's related to it's related to your senses. Um, people in the autistic spectrum, you know, have an oversensitivity to the world they experience, and you know, with synesthesia, that can that could come into play. And for me, I think me being overly sensitive to sound has a big implication with me with my synesthesia because. I'm so sensitive to the sound that it like just triggers it triggers the various um, colors within my mind's eye because I'm just so you know I'm very keen and just specific things I hear and um, my parents have told me like I can there's sometimes where like I can hear someone in the basement when I'm on like in the second floor upstairs you know um, and so I think I I think it plays a part in that wow okay so you have really good hearing i do kind of consider myself an audiophile um i you know whenever i'm listening to music i'm just very picky with sound and i even you know have a have a vinyl record collection so i'm gonna i'm gonna deep into the you know high quality audio because i am just so you know I'm just overly sensitive um, with sound. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
I guess it it also has its downsides when you're out and about and the city is loud and and university is loud, but at home, like having the the space and the brain to to just develop such a passion for music is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, kind of going on with you how it could be kind of a you know how it can be a, a con rather than a pro, you know. It can be overwhelming sometimes with sound, you know, when there's when there's just so much going on and there's like a ton of things happening, you know, it can be very distracting for me. But, you know, when it's just when it's me just listening to music and, you know, just like focusing on that on listening and, you know, even if a song is just super chaotic, I think I, I guess I can I for me personally, I also enjoy it more because it's just like it's like ex- experiencing just like this massive avalanche of, of like colors just bombarding me constantly and it's you know sometimes it can be sometimes it can be overbearing and um there's you know sometimes where it's just like it it, it builds my energy up because you know when i'm when there's not a lot of stuff going on in my environment and it's super quiet then i just I feel really tired. And so it's kind of a, it's a very just delicate balance that I have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. Cool. Thank you. That's, that's super interesting. Maybe we can ask Brady if she thinks synesthesia runs in her family. Yeah. So um, my mom has said that when she was younger, she had different associations with like numbers and letters, um, but she believes she's outgrown it. And that's about the extent to what I've heard among my family members. It's it's hard to say. Um, I'd be interested to go back and maybe talk to great-grandparents or see if it skips a generation or something. But to my knowledge, I, I may be the only one mom, maybe. Cool. Maybe we can talk about your book now. I'm really intrigued by it. You were so lovely and sent me a copy of the book in, in advance and Uh, to prepare for our podcast episode today. So thank you so much for giving me access to your book. I love it. I I couldn't read all of it, but I was so keen to to finish it. Maybe we can just start at the very beginning. Like, I think one of you proposed the idea to the other person, if I remember correctly. And yeah, maybe we could just hear about your your friendship, how the process of writing was, how it went. So I was the, I was the one that uh, proposed the idea to Brady. I had gotten the idea of, you know, as someone with, you know, sound to color synesthesia, as a kid, I just had these like, in my mind's eye, just these like, you know, colors in my head. And sometimes those colors would kind of would mold into shapes and forms that are very abstract. There, there's this like, trying to explain it verbally is very difficult but when you're able to literally to paint the picture for someone i it just makes it a lot easier to kind of explain what you experience so that's you know i had the idea of making art for what i experience and then it, i i kind of got the idea from uh you know reading very various art books in the past what if we're able to write and kind of discuss our synesthesia and our process of making art while also learning about the neurological condition and making sort of a hybrid. But I proposed the idea to Brady a few months before she was going to graduate college. I still had another semester ahead of me, but 
I, I wasn't sure whether she, she would say yes at all or she she would be like I I can't you know my you know I have other things going on in my life and um, luckily we had a coffee together uh, and I proposed it I was very nervous about it she was up for it and I mean she's told me like she wasn't what it was going to be what the final product was going to be but you know she's told me she was very happy with where it ended up sure it was um kind of exciting when um he proposed it but i like he said i wasn't really sure what i was getting into it was it ended up being really fun and i think really important for me as an artist to just continue to make art after i graduated beyond my career of graphic design um to make art that wasn't for industrial use and i think that was really important to me and it's also been good to just kind of get the word out about synesthesia because i found that it has just been so enriching to my life to just know what it is and i think the more information that's out there the more people realize they have it that have it um, and that can be beneficial to them and uh, kind of uh, going off on that um you know, how has it helped with our friendship? I think it really uh, almost tenfold. Just the, we talk to each other, even when we were long distances away, um, even during, while we were working on this during the pandemic, you know, we always found a way to take, have some time to video call or it's funny how like, when I first talked with Brady, you know, I was trying to be as professional as possible. I was ensuring that I wasn't stumbling on my words so much and making sure I had everything all organized. And then by the end of the book, there would be times where we'd just be, we'd just be goofing around while trying to, you know, put this together and joking around. And it's just, just like looking back upon the 20 months that we worked on this book, it's it's fascinating how much, how much more open we were to each other um, as friends and about our, our lives. And I think during the process of making this book, it's also, it's also helped me mentally. I was in a, I was in a pretty bad mental state going into college. Um, and it was kind of a, uh, like a downhill spiral for me just mentally and with my school and with my personal life. Yeah. I read about it in the book and I was meaning to ask you if you want to tell us a bit more about that time and how the how the book helped you guys or you especially in your mental health journey. Yeah, so I mean, like I said, right at the beginning of college was I, when I learned I had uh, I was part of the autistic spectrum. It's one of those things where when you know, when someone tells you that, you immediately think of negative connotations. You immediately think, you know, you realize how different you are and how all those times where you like wondered why, you know, it's hard for you to talk or why it's hard to explain the things that you experience at a synesty. It's, it's, it's fascinating how like someone bringing it up just for like in just a single sentence, my mom literally just brought it up super casually. Like I knew about it. It just opened your eyes to everything that you do and everything that you see and experience and, all your conversations and stuff. And not only that, but college was also a lot difficult for me than I had realized. Um, you know, I went to, I, before I went to Hastings College, um, I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design. And that was where, like, you know, it was super difficult for me to to deal with. You know, you know, changes can be very difficult for someone in the autistic spectrum. And that was a massive change for me. And so, yeah, for for a few years, you know, I had left uh, art school 
I had left art school because it was just so difficult and eventually went to Hastings College because they were um, a lot more a lot more open and a lot more um, a lot more accommodating and easier to talk to, especially when you're someone in the that's neurodivergent. I mean, accommodation and just being able to being understanding of the things you have to go with on a daily basis is very nice. But anyway, going back back to talking about the book, the reason why it was it was so helpful, you know, uh, for me mentally was it felt like I was it felt like I was accomplishing something and, you know, actually getting back into my own creatively, being able to converse with someone like Brady whenever I needed to, you know, whenever I needed some help or just someone to talk to. The book was kind of in a way very helpful in learning about myself as a neurodivergent and also figuring out how to, when developing the book, figuring out how to organize things, how to properly put them together, you know, accomplishing a childhood dream. And yeah. I think that. And you, you are also so young, like publishing a book at 24, if I remember correctly is such an achievement. You should be so proud. I'm proud of you. Like, And I'm also so glad to hear that your mental health is a lot better now. And I think it's so beautiful to hear that a project like this and a good friend and a accommodating university like Hastings College was, shout out to them, can improve the experience like and the education and the whole, your whole career basically if people understand neurodiversities and, and if they take the time to listen I think that's so true and honestly the book has been awesome for me too it's been Sage is a great person to have in your corner he's um, just a really caring guy and it's been awesome to kind of have that in that transition from college to um, just kind of having your first like big job and moving farther away from home or in a different way and being more independent um, and kind of having this book and this friendship as a constant has been incredibly helpful and incredibly nice to have. Um, it's been incredibly current, encouraging in my art making um, and just me personally too. And really glad we were able to work on it during this time. That's so good. And Sage, I can completely relate to uh, what you said about when you have to transition to a new phase of your life and yeah that your mental health just can really be impacted by that I had when I was doing a semester abroad and also when I each time I felt like my mental health was so much worse than it was before and I was like well this is supposed to be the most exciting time and not the most challenging time what's going on but also also it was quite hard and it I think at like for you as well it's pushed me to seek the help or information I needed so I think sometimes to to then make these changes that will influence your life positively on the long run yeah I mean once you finish high school I think is when you know entering into adulthood is when you experience so many changes so many just you have so many questions on uh, you know being an adult and also just you, you're not sure whether where you'll be within like the next year or even like the next few months. Um, and that's something that's something I was experiencing. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know, it's something about the book that I can 
be excited about. I had some making art was a way of, you know, sometimes it was very therapeutic to be able to listen to some of my favorite songs and then paint the picture of what I experienced. And it added some, I'm, I'm trying to find the right word. Oh, I can't find the word. It's like tradition or it's like a, a routine. Oh, a routine. Yeah. Or yeah. Ritual. Yeah. It mm -hmm. added, it added a bit of a, a routine that, um, that was able to have to hold on to while I was, uh, you know, trying to figure out all these various things. And it added a bit of like, I had something, I had something to hold on to something to keep me going during very trying times. That's great. So good. I mean, structure is a very protective factor when it comes to mental health. So I'm very glad you could find that in the uh, book project. I think we do have to, at some point, speak about what is in the book. Uh, there are also QR codes. So you see uh, artistic interpretation of a song, but you can also, with your phone, scan the QR code and listen to the music at the same time while reading the book, which is just a very smart and interactive thing to do. Yeah, Brady, do you want to maybe tell us a bit more about what we can find in the book because i imagine a lot of listeners are now very intrigued and yeah maybe you can fill us in yeah so um the book kind of twofold there's a lot of information about synesthesia it's written from sage's perspective he kind of dives into what synesthesia is what it's like for him what it's like for me how we found out about it what it's like living with it day to day and just kind of kind of getting you trying to get kind of a holistic view of okay what is it What's it like to live with it? What is, what's it like kind of historically, that sort of thing. And then it also fit, features several artworks by both me and Sage kind of depicting our type of synesthesia. For me, I focused on my emotion to form synesthesia. Um, and then Sage is chromesthesia. And he really has some really beautiful, vivid artworks in there. And like you said, he decided to incorporate a QR code next to each of his pieces so that when you look at it, you can also easily scan the QR code and go to um, music that the art is about. And I think that's awesome. Um, can we talk about the title of the book? Who had the idea? What other ideas did you have? And yeah, I think feeling different as a title, like it also implies a bit feeling isolated. That's at least my interpretation. So I would be also curious to hear what your experience was with feeling different. And I'm sure you talk about it in the book, but maybe we can have a brief summary of, um, of the title of the book. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea did come from me, um, but I think Brady and I were, we were trying to brainstorm um, different ideas about the title of the book. Um, you know, with the, when it comes to a lot of books related to, you know, related to the sciences or like uh, about neurological conditions, sometimes the title of the book can be like, you know, super long. So we wanted something that best described the book without it feeling too overwhelming and feeling like a, you know, a whole paragraph to read. So I don't exactly, I, I'm trying to remember, I don't remember the, the different ideas we had. I felt like the, the title was slightly different early on, but I can't remember what it originally was. I know it was like, funny the the original title we had and then brady brought up was like eh, maybe we should uh probably change it and then of course that's kind of i think that's how 
it, it molded into feeling different. So, um, yeah, I, I can't remember, but I know for a fact, you know, once, once we heard the, the title feeling different in our minds was when we were both like, yep, that's the one. I can agree with that. Yeah. It was, we had been thrown around some other titles. Sage was probably the best brainstormer there. And then he threw out feeling different. I was like, yep, that's it. I think that's the one. <laughs> like it just, it worked the best. It made the most sense and I'm um, glad we went with it. Yeah. Sounds great. Thank you. So where can people find your book? I'm so happy to uh, to link your your book, but maybe you can just um, let them know where to get it. Yes. So if you type in bio.site uh, slash feeling different, that will lead you to a little page that will lead um, to links to get our uh, the physical copy of the book as well. You can also uh, buy a PDF of the book as well if you want to read it on your iPad or other um, devices. Um, and yeah, it also leads to our uh, Instagram pages as well. And it will also lead to our interview that we did on N- on the radio station. And we'll also put the link to this interview as well, this uh, podcast. You can also go to lulubooks.com and just search um, Feeling Different also if you'd like to go about it that way. Perfect. And I'll just link it in the show notes as well. So it's um, accessible for everybody. For those who are driving in the car right now and can't take notes, just go back to to the show notes and find it. And, And yeah, it's just a beautiful project. I'm so happy for the two of you. It sounds a really good friendship project as well. Thank you. It really has been. And we really appreciate you um, putting us on the show. I'm really excited to see, um, like I said, your other episodes and just kind of what you're building here. Because I think it's really great um, when the synesthesia community, which should be giant, but is kind of small right now, is kind of reaching out and providing more education to people to either learn they have synesthesia or just learn more about it in a way that kind of challenges how people perceive the world. Thank you. The synesthesia um, community could be huge. It's so many people, but we need, yeah, we, we just need a, a couple more platforms maybe to, to connect and to hear, hear stories. Oh, one very obvious question I have to ask before we, we um, wrap it up is what's the taste of this book, Brady? <laughs> um, honestly, I've been having trouble tasting it. Because something funny is that for whatever reason, books that aren't fiction have a much lighter taste. Um, And because this is partly probably because I've been through it so many times, I I haven't quite gotten the taste of it. But I may eventually and I'll have to let you know. (laughs) This is a question that I've like, I've asked Brady for the longest time. And I'm like, whenever I'm in the process of writing the book, and she's like, yeah, I just don't really uh, t- really taste anything. And I'm like, all right, I got to add more descriptive words. More, I need to add, uh, I need to write it a different way. I'm like, I'm, you know, asking this question so many times. Like, okay, Brady, you've read this chapter now. What does it taste, uh, taste like? What does it smell like? And she's like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, can't really, uh, taste or smell it it's it's like a it's like a rice cake like ah dang it i didn't write it good enough so that that was a very good way of me like you know writing it better and improving 
on different areas. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love that. It has to taste better than a rice cake. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that you will have a taste like in like 10 years or so looking back yeah. at this very um, formative time. Um, and then I think the book will just have a taste. I hope so, because it just maybe it's because I just have read through it so many times and it's it's so factual to me because it's so close to home. But like you said, maybe as time progresses and I read through it again, I'll I'll get the taste for it. Yeah, guys, it was so incredibly nice to talk to you I'm, I'm so glad we we arranged it even though we're miles and miles and miles apart it was so good to chat and please let me know if you ever happen to be in Europe that we can um, meet up in person that would be amazing I think the best part of this whole thing is to talk to people from all around the world. And this also was the main motivation for me to do it in English, even though it's my second language. I for sure would have been a lot better in German and would have less struggle explaining what I what I mean and feel. But I think connecting with people from all around the world is just just my uh, motivating whatever now i'm lacking words but we all know what i mean sure i think that's awesome cool guys thank you to everybody who's listening yeah thank you and thank you to those who are listening too bye take care bye you've been listening to let's talk synesthesia there'll be a new episode of series one every tuesday if you enjoyed listening you can like follow and share details about the podcast and how to connect with today's speakers can be found in the show notes The executive producer was Micah Pricing, with music by Corinne Anderson, and the podcast was supported by a couple more neurodivergent people in the background. See you next week.